When a new drink hits the streets of New York, everyone's in line for a taste. But was this delicious fruity beverage actually invented by the Ku Klux Klan? And then we traveled to California to meet a master piano player who can make any sound emanate just by stroking those ivory keys. Was this guy a once-in-a-lifetime talented genius, or was he possessed by the spirits of the great composers? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so first off, running into Dead Rabbit Command as fast as she can. You can't catch her. She's not the gingerbread man. Her name is Maria Romero. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah, she's running around. Maria Romero, our newest Patreon supporter. You sure are running fast. Maria Romero, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's totally fine. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much, Maria. Go ahead and take a break. You're making us dizzy. You're running around so much. Stop for a moment so I can throw you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to Brooklyn. We're headed back to the year 1991. Before we get there, I want to give a shout out. This story was a recommendation from longtime Patreon supporter Own the Monkeys. Pwn the Monkeys, however you pronounce that. Thank you so much for sending this my way. I've never heard of this story before. It's absolutely fascinating. And we're driving out to Brooklyn. Like I said, we're going to go back in time to the year 1991. But while we're going out there, I'm going to read you a review of a soft drink called Tropical Fantasy. You go, I've never heard of this soft drink. What? Tropical Fantasy? Is this something some guy cooked up in a laboratory? (laughs) You're like, you did mention the KKK in the beginning. Is this some, like, underground drink, some underground beverage? Well, it's a very, very odd story we're going to get to with this drink called Tropical Fantasy. It's very, very popular in the inner cities of the United States. But if you live outside of the inner city, if you live in the outer cities, you've never heard of this. I've never heard of this drink. But this this drink was a big deal back in the 90s, and it still is a big deal today. In fact... If you, I'm going, to, I'm going to order some of this after hearing this story. I'm all yummy, yummy, yummy. I want some of that tropical fantasy. The way that it's still around. It's still around. You can buy it on Amazon. And I actually found the review. This will get you your taste buds flowing for this episode. I found, you might be drinking, you might be drinking tropical fantasy right now. You're like, oh, I'm on pins and needles. What's up with this drink? On Amazon, there's a review. It was only posted back on 2021, February 20th, 2021. So very recent. This is a current news story as well. This is this review. Remember, there's possibility the Ku Klux Klan is brewing this in a laboratory. But here's this review. Quote. I have to read this exact review. I can't sum it up. Quote. Yummy. That's the title of the review. It's like a beverage. It's like a it's like in a 20-ounce bottle. Yummy is the title of the review. And no, no joke. This is exactly how it starts off. Uh, he, he puts in a moaning noise into his review. He says, quote, uh, let me tell you about tropical fantasy because it is truly that a fantasy. 
a fantasy come to life. This beverage breathes life into me. This, I'm not making any of this up. It'll be in the show notes. You can click on this review. And then he goes, ah, it gets me going. The green one brings me immense pleasure. <laughs> it sounds like some sci-fi drug. It sounds like something that a Batman villain would manufacture. There's different flavors, right? So they have Tropical Fantasy is like a, a punchy type one. Well, I think Tropical Fantasy is the main brand, like Gatorade, and they have different flavors. But the go back to this quote here. Quote, the green one gets me... The green one brings me immense pleasurable pulses throughout my body that I can't even articulate. The things it makes me feel are unspeakable. It's safe to say I'm hooked. Buy this drink. It'll change your life. That's, that might be the best review I've ever heard of anything ever. Especially a food product. And that came from a guy named Lawrence. Now you go, obviously, this is like someone working for Tropical Fantasy. There's like a rifle to his head. He's like, so, okay, okay, I'll type it out. And they're like, no, put more H's in. Ugh. He's like, okay, yes, sir, just don't kill me. That's a review for this tropical fantasy drink. Now, here's the thing. People either love it or hate it. People people either have life-changing experiences by drinking the green one, or they wage open warfare in the streets of Brooklyn over tropical fantasy. This story is nuts. This, oh, that's not a pun either. Uh, April. April 1991 in Brooklyn, New York. This company was called the Brooklyn Bottling Group. And these guys, they were constantly... They'd been around since like the 30s where they were making like sarsaparilla or gross stuff. And then the 90s comes, they have a giant warehouse of sarsaparilla. They're like, sir, sir, we haven't sold the bottle since 1809. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. This stuff's starting to stink and the rats have taken over. Let's invent a new drink. Let's invent a new drink and we're going to compete directly with Coca-Cola and Pepsi. We're going to call it Tropical Fantasy... We're going to have all these fruity flavors. We're not going to do any national marketing campaign. We're going to push this out. We're going to sell it for 50 cents a bottle. I actually think it was like 49 cents a bottle. Our competitors are charging a dollar. We're going to undercut them. And all of our advertising is going to be in-store displays and the actual people at the stores pushing the product. That's going to be all of our advertising. And we're going to focus on the inner cities. And they're like, that's great, boss. That's great. So they started making the Tropical Fantasy. And, and really, it like was invented in like November of 1990. That's when they first started pushing it out. And it was instantly a hit. It, first off, it was just half the price of a Coke or a Pepsi. And a hot day. Well, November, November of New York's not that hot. But it was a it was a treat if it ever did get hot. You would have a tasty treat for half the price of a Coke or a Pepsi. Tropical Fantasy starts flying off the shelves. You have these sweet tropical berry flavors. Life-changing, in fact. But what happens is, from November of 1990 to April of 1991, this stuff's flying off the shelves. And particularly, they're only selling it in the inner cities. Come April 1991, a Brooklyn bottling group truck is pulling up to a mini mart. And this guy jumps out of the truck. He's like, dude, I love my I love my job now that all the rats have been ran off. I love my job. And I'm going to unload this truck of Tropical Fantasy into these mini marts all over. And before he could finish, <laughs> before he could finish his monologue, he's standing on the top of the truck. He's like, I, the mighty Tropical Fantasy delivery man, have a true purpose in life. As he's delivering this external monologue 
a bottle comes flying towards him and hits him in the head. He's like, ah, and he looks and there's a bunch of people surrounding the Brooklyn bottling group truck. And they're like, we love nuts. We love nuts. And this other guy's holding a sign that says your hands off my sperm. And he's like, wait, what? I never intended. I don't know what this is. They're like, quit messing with our balls, dude. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And they're rocking the truck, throwing stuff at the truck. The delivery driver has to get in and get away before the riot gets to be too much. Across town, across town, there's a mini mart owner. And he's like, oh, such a relaxing day in Brooklyn. And I've already have this huge delivery of tropical fantasy beverages delivered to my store. They're all perfectly in this great display case. It's like a little triangle. Life is good. And then all of a sudden he hears walking down the street, a crowd chanting, balls are the best. Balls are the best. He's like, what? what what's that? Is, there, is there like a soccer ball convention in town? What is that? What, what's going on? All of a sudden this riot comes into his store. And there's a guy, there's that same guy holding that sign, keep your hands off my sperm. And he's like, what? And they're kicking over the display and they're roughing up the, the shop owner. And they go, you don't ever, ever sell tropical fantasy in our neighborhood again. And the shop owner's like, what are you talking about? Like, dude, it's like, it's fruity and it's delicious. It'll change your life. And that's when one of the protesters throws a flyer in the shopkeeper's face. And the shopkeeper reads it. This was a true story. There were riots and attacks throughout inner cities. This drink was mostly sold in New York and on the East Coast. I believe it hit a couple inner city markets on the West Coast, but this was mostly an East Coast phenomenon. There were people getting attacked over whether or not you were drinking. I, I don't think they had a problem with you drinking it, but if you were selling Tropical Fantasy or if you worked for the company in April of 1991, there was a chance you were going to get a brick to the back of the head. It got really bad. Because this flyer mysteriously started to appear all over Brooklyn and it spread throughout the East Coast. It said, attention, attention, attention. 50 cent sodas. This is a weird headline, right? This is a weird headline. Grammatically, it's not great, but 50 cent sodas. Blacks and minority groups. Did you see? What are you talking about? That's a bunch of words. I don't understand what it's saying. It's a, it's attention grabbing, though, with the three attentions. It says, quote, please be advised. Top Pop and Tropical Fantasy 50 Cent Sodas are being manufactured by the Ku Klux Klan. Sodas contain stimulants to sterilize the black man and who knows what else. They are only put in stores in Harlem and minority areas. You won't find them downtown. Look around. And from this single flyer, it wasn't, it wasn't just one sheet of paper, they didn't pass it around, but these flyers were printed out all over the place. A conspiracy theory was born. The idea that that's why they were selling it so cheap, that's why they were only selling it in the inner city, it had a drug in it or a chemical in it that would sterilize black men. And it is so fascinating how quickly this took hold. And it went from being a favorite drink to getting attacked if you had anything to do with the company. In the month of April alone, Brooklyn Bottling Group, 70% of their profits were slashed. They lost 70% of their business in a single month. It was a huge issue. Basically, their entire market base thought, thought they were trying to destroy their balls. Hold on, there's a plane flying by.
the thing is, and I've talked about this a couple times on the show, the black community is very conspiracy theory minded for good cause. The Tuskegee experiments, you did that to us back then. You did, <laughs> I'm not even talking about all the crack cocaine you shipped into the West Coast, Mr. CIA. So it makes sense that if they're, listen, if they're going to inject us with syphilis and if they're going to create a drug specifically to destroy the black revolution, the black militia, like Black Panthers and stuff like that, if you're actually going to engage in these disinformation campaigns and assassinate our leaders, I'm not going to put it past you to sterilize us. And so it would make sense that they read this and they go, okay, this kind of makes sense. Why are they only selling this in minority neighborhoods? Why is it so cheap? It must be to chemically castrate us. And so what's interesting about it is this protest got so big and so violent, but no, no one was killed, right? It was just like you got roughed around a bit, but no one appreciates having a bottle thrown at their head. That and the Brooklyn Bottling Group, they were losing a bunch of money. So they go, what? How do we how do we combat this? How do we prove that we're not members of the KKK? It's hard to prove a negative, right? So they started having these vans drive around with big billboards on them through neighborhoods and being like, "Drink, drink tropical fantasy. It is not affiliated with the KKK. We're not trying to destroy your testicles." Didn't work. Because obviously it's not going to work. Of course the KKK is going to say that we don't make that. Actually, you know what's funny is they did get a member of the KKK. There was some grand imperial wizard, sorry. Not, not just a grand wizard, an imperial wizard named James Farrens, leader of the largest clan group at the time. And he said, we have nothing to do with tropical fantasy. He actually came out and said, we'd have nothing to do. I just imagine him with this big, big conehead mask. And he's like, it was not us. It was not us. The Brooklyn Bottling Company's driving around these trucks saying we are not members of the KKK, which, again, <laughs> that's, not, that's not proven anything. Of course, if I'm running some nefarious scheme, I'm going to come out and go, oh, no, it's not me. It's not me at all, right? Of course, I'm going to deny it. So it, that didn't help. Then the FDA had to step in. This was a huge thing. The government had to step in, and the FDA goes, we've tested this drink. There is no sterilizing agents in this drink. But again, they don't trust anybody, right? The government's lied to them constantly. Companies have lied to them. The government lies to everybody. Companies lie to everybody. But the communities in these inner cities are like, we don't, that, that's, that doesn't save us. That, we still don't trust you. FDA had to come out. And one of the pushbacks was, and I think this was kind of ridiculous, was they go, you know, like the critics would go, this is a stupid conspiracy theory. You're saying that there's something in it to sterilize black men. But how would it know the difference between a white man and a black man? And really the answer to that was, it doesn't. That's why they're only selling it in the inner cities. That's why you can't find it in downtown New York where all the white people live and all their posh areas and stuff like that. Because they can't. They haven't formulated it well enough. But it was a weird, like, again, people were super dismissive towards this conspiracy theory. Eventually, the mayor of New York, a man named David Dinkins, goes, you know what? He was a very beloved mayor of New York. He was also black. He goes, I have faith in tropical fantasy. I don't think that it's going to sterilize me. And he, this is so funny. He had a press conference where he's drinking tropical fantasy. It became that big of an issue that 
one morning you're watching people's court and they're like, we interrupt this broadcast for a special announcement. You're like, oh no, what happened? And it's Mayor David Dinkins drinking Tropical Fantasy. is like, ah, delicious. He's the one who wrote that review. He's like, it was life-changing. He drinks the Tropical Fantasy and he goes, look guys, listen, there's nothing unforward with Tropical Fantasy. They're not owned by the KKK. This was a bad rumor. Glug, 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 glug. And after that, the rumors did kind of well, the conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it, started to get forgotten, but not completely forgotten. I mean, people started drinking it again. Like I said, you can buy it today. Nowadays, it's known by it's tropical fantasy, but sometimes they'll call it nutties. Can I have a nutty making almost fun, kind of making fun of the original conspiracy theory that it kills your nuts. So if you're ever at a store, if you ever owned a mini Mart in Brooklyn, you're people keep asking me for nutties. What? I don't know. I mean, they've even asked me that for years. That's why. They're actually trying to get some tropical fantasy. Because I'm going to order some off of Amazon when I get paid. I'm going to order two bottles. Of it. it's, only, it's only a buck each. You're like, Jason, wow. You're in that dire of a straight. You're like, oh, man, I hope I get paid. So I'm going to buy two drinks. Um, but yeah, I'll get some tropical fantasy. Maybe I'll do a review. What I thought was interesting, though, is I looked into it. And I go, well, how old was David Dinkins in the 1990s? He was 65 years old. He ain't having kids. He ain't having kids anyways. He, for all we know, it does sterilize people. He drinks and he's like, I don't I don't use my balls anyways. How much is Tropical Fantasy going to pay me to do this? But it's, it's interesting. We've seen these conspiracy theories also pop up around Church's Chicken. Church's Chicken, the popular restaurant in America, that that also has a sterilizing agent in it. And, that, and that's actually one of the plots of... That movie Black Dynamite, I think there was also like something in a, a cereal, a delicious thing that was being peddled in the black community that would shrink your balls. It, It's an interesting conspiracy theory. And here's the thing. I wouldn't put it past any government or any corporation, right? Like, that's the thing you're hearing. And you're like, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. But then you think about it, and you're like, yeah, I could totally see somebody doing that. If they had the means to do it, that's how they would do that. And what's interesting, too, I'm not saying that Tropical Fantasy is actually sterilizing people, but um, what's interesting, you also have the question, who started this rumor? Who started it? And nobody knows. They've never been able to track down who did it. But Brooklyn Bottling Group really, really were looking into it. Again, this it's like, I mean, this was their new hit drink, right, when it was coming out, and then their profits got completely you know, 70% loss of sales in a single month. And it lasted for a while. Brooklyn Bottling Group goes, listen, we don't know who started it, but we have pretty good evidence. We did a lot of investigating on this because we lost a lot of money. We have pretty good evidence that although they didn't start it, we know that there were people who spread it further. They were egging it on in the background. And that was Coke and Pepsi. Read an article and they said apparently Brooklyn Bottling Group has a pretty impressive amount of documentation showing that Coke and Pepsi were continuing the rumor, pushing it on. They're driving a truck right behind the Tropical Fantasy one. Shows a picture of a KKK guy holding a Tropical Fantasy. Definitely possible. You know, all's fair in love and business. You could see someone coming after them and being like, oh no, I went, to, I went to high school with the leader of Brooklyn Bottling Group. He's totally a member of the KKK. Tropical fantasy, interesting conspiracy theory. It's one of those, it's 100% one of those things that if you were going to do it, that's how you would do it. 
you would put something in a drink and only sell the drink in the areas where the people you didn't like drink that drink. It 100% makes sense. I don't think that they were doing that, but I can understand why people would think that, and that would be the way to do it. So, crazy story. Thank you so much for sending it over, Own the Monkeys. Maria Romero. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're leaving behind Brooklyn. We have giant cases of tropical fantasy drinking in the back, drinking the green ones. It's life-changing. Take us up, up and away out of Brooklyn. We're flying all the way out, too. California. Specifically, we're headed out to San Diego. So Maria keep playing that carpenter copter over and I'm pointing out of it and I'm like, look at down there, look at down there. That where my face, she's still trying to fly and look at the same time. She's like, what? I can't do that. Look down there, look down there. There is a Villa Montezuma, a mansion, a beautiful mansion sitting in the middle of San Diego. Now, when it was built, it was just sweeping hills and grass as far as the eye could see. Probably some grapes, too, right? It was just farmland. Nowadays, it's they built a city there, the city of San Diego. So now it's just a mansion sitting next to a Walmart, and it kind of ru- ruins the image of being, <laughs> being super fancy if across the street you hear tires being changed on cars. But that is the way of the world. We're at Villa Montezuma, and it was the house was built in 1887. The way that it worked was there was this piano player named Benjamin Henry Jesse Francis Shepard. Benjamin Shepard is what we'll call him, or good old Ben. Ben was an amazing piano player. And they're like, oh my God, I've never heard that song before. Yay, what's the name of that song? And he's like, Music Box. Music Box in a preteen girl's room. And they're like, oh, that's fantastic. He didn't actually compose that song, but anyways. He's a composer. He's a piano player. He's touring the world doing these performances, and there were some fans of his that loved him so much. They go, dude, we want you to tickle them ivories here in California. We will build you a house. Nay, we will build you a mansion if you come here and live here and play music on the West Coast. And he's all, he stops playing and he goes, that sounds like a plan. And he's playing and they're like moving him and he's like a musical montage of him getting set up in this house, the Villa Montezuma. And when he gets there, it's really kind of built to his specifications. Well, the house is already built, but he got to pick out what was inside of it. He had these stained glass windows of the great composers, great artists of the past. And he would sit there, he'd wake up every morning to a giant face of Bach, just like in the stained glass, sunlight shining through Bach's eyes. Showing him where the treasure was really hidden. He's walking around his house. Every day he gets to see the great artists that came before him. He can be inspired by them. But is it just inspiration? Or... He's playing the piano and all these people are standing around the piano clapping in rhythm. He's like, yeah. He's, I'm going to do like a full 10 minute instrumental. You're like, okay, Jason, we get it. He plays the piano. He would put on these great shows. And while he was touring, he attended a seance. And he became completely enraptured by the power 
of the paranormal. And as he was traveling the world being a performer, he also began to travel the world. And when he was in new cities, he would meet with local occultists, mediums, soothsayers, all of these people. And because he was so famous at the time, they'd want to meet him too. And he had access to all of these people who claimed to have all of these powers. And he began to do seances himself. And then he began to channel spirits. And the audience is like, oh my God, he's playing that perfectly. He's like Mozart himself who composed that. And the other audience members like, I don't know. And the idea was people started to believe. Now, this wasn't super well known to the public, but people close to him believed, oh, he's channeling the spirits of Bach and Mozart and Amadeus. No, that's Mozart. He's channeling, he's channeling the spirits of the two composers I know. Bach, Bach and Mozart. Dun, 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 dun. Apparently, he got so gifted at channeling because he wasn't shy about it right if you were in his inner circle especially like back at this house in villa montezuma he would give private shows by the time he got to the house that was he had already become an experienced they would do this at this house he became experienced at channeling he became experienced at holding seances rumor was among the elite in the area who came to villa montezuma that one day they watched benjamin shepherd sit down and play two symphonies at the same time one hand was playing out a tune by let's say mozart while the other hand was playing out a tune by bach like flight of the bumblebee and william tells overture at the same time you're like oh my god he's just banging on keys you're like oh the art the beauty of it he sat there and played two symphonies at the same time two piano pieces i guess it'd be a better term at the same time one with each hand, because he had channeled both spirits. Now, whether or not that story is true, that was definitely his reputation. Like, that was the maximum level of his power. He could have two spirits inside him at the same time, and he could play out this music. Oh, I sorry, I did write it down. He played down Mozart with one hand, and chopping with the other. So, da 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 Music, right? I don't know. Chopin? I don't know what he composed. But anyways, Benjamin Shepard was also a composer himself. So not only did he happen to be able to do this magical stuff with his fingers, playing other people's music, he could make his own music. And apparently, I actually tried finding a recording of this. Like a modern day version of this. I couldn't find anything. You guys might have more success. Benjamin Shepard, his, his most famous composition was something called The Great Egyptian March. And contemporary reports, when he played The Grand Egyptian March, all he used was his keyboard and his mouth. And the audience said it would sound like there was a whole orchestra. <laughs> there was a whole orchestra. They were amazed. They go, all eat it down and go, violence, triangle, ding, 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 that. 
but better. Far better than that. <laughs> to the two of you who are still listening to this episode, you're like, okay, I'm done. Jason doing sound effects one thing. Jason making music with his mouth. This guy made music with his mouth. I just imagine him going boom, 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 like a big old tuba. But apparently, somehow, remember the audience? The audience didn't really know he was channeling spirits, apparently, but... <laughs> I mean, you figured something was up if a guy's sitting there. He sits down at the keyboard, and all of a sudden, a symphony comes out of his mouth. You would be like, okay, there's something up with this guy. There's, It's 1887. No one has a recording. Is there like a orchestra hiding behind the curtain? No, it's him going... He's doing sound effects. I think the best thing would be if after the performance, he just sat there with his mouth open going, ah, and you hear like an applause coming from his mouth. He gives himself his own standing applause. People are like, wait, what? what? And the audience is like, oh, I guess it's time for us to clap. His gaping maw is emitting the sound of a thousand hands slapping together. Benjamin Shepard was doing this Egyptian march. Do, 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 ba, do. And... It was just, it was, talk about life changing to hear this. You're like, how do you, how are they even doing this? I couldn't, I was hoping that I could find a video of like a, someone doing it nowadays, but that's part of the problem. I don't think anyone can replicate it because they don't have the spirits of a bunch of composers in them. But like any good story of occultic knowledge, this one doesn't have a happy ending. He may have not made a deal with the devil himself, but he's definitely using spiritual aids for his success. Those stories usually turn out badly. Benjamin Shepard ends up not staying a long time at the Villa Montezuma. He lives there for a couple of years, but then he goes on tour again. And the reason why he goes on tour is that he's out of money. But even then... Things weren't going that well for him. People are like, man, you don't look too good. He's all, he's all floating ectoplasm shooting out of his mouth. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. Blah. Where's your nearest piano? I got to make some money. The end of his life was, uh, he was broke and not in good health. In May of 1927, though, he was doing a concert playing the Egyptian March, the Grand Egyptian March, his most famous piece. Dink, dink. Dink, boom, 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 dink, dink, choop, doop, doop, doop. I can do that, actually, now think about it. I can make old symphonies. You're like, Jason, wow, it sounds like old symphonies in your room right now. Oh, thank you. Dunk, dunk, boop, 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 boop. He's doing the Grand Egyptian March. And people were still, like, these shows, he was still super popular. People were coming out to see him. Just wasn't a good manager of his money. They just figured he was living the life behind the scenes. When you, when you see a guy who can do that with his voice and his fingers, you figure he's living high on the hog. But no, he's playing the Grand Egyptian March. And he's coming up to the end. Dink! And when he hit that final note, he just bowed his head. The audience stood up, roared with applause. Wow, yeah! Encore! Encore? Huh? And the whole time, Benjamin's just sitting there on the, the stool, on the piano stool with his head bowed down. He died. 
he died. Cause of death, malnutrition. So that's, that's how bad this guy was off. He wasn't eating enough. He was that broke. And he had basically had a heart attack due to malnutrition. That's one of the versions of his death. I did see on encyclopedia.com, they said it wasn't as majestic as a death, but they still got the right time period. Uh, and the encyclopedia.com entry says that he did die of malnutrition. He died on May 29th, 1927, when a caseworker, like a social worker, was like, hey, we should check on you. We heard you're a super poor old man. He was 78, knocking on his door, and he died as she was knocking. So it's not as... It's not as awesome as dying to the piano, but maybe the knocking, maybe the rhythm was giving him an idea for a new song, and then he died. I guess that's still I guess that's still just as sad. He dies of malnutrition, but such is life. That's a true story. It's funny because the stuff about him channeling, like all of this stuff is highly documented. The only thing I was able to find one source on was him playing Chopin with one hand and Mozart with the other. Everything else is really well documented. The channeling, the people thinking that he was bringing these spirits into himself. Like, all of that stuff was very historical. But our story's not done yet. Now we're going back into purely the realm of the paranormal. Because the Villa Montezuma is considered an incredibly high-level haunted house. Even though he didn't die there, even though he didn't spend his entire life there, that's where he was holding these parties. This was really when he was at the height of his power was when he was at the Villa Montezuma. He not only was as famous, he was not only incredibly famous, he had now learned the secrets of the dark arts. And those two colliding together at Villa Montezuma left some sort of psychic energy that can still be felt to this day. And it's pretty much off limits. It's interesting, as beautiful as this mansion is, there's only four tours a year. But people who do go in there, they've said that they've seen ghosts, including a butler who hung himself in the... There was a tower on the top of the mansion. They say a butler hung himself, and sometimes you can see him hanging out. No no, no pun intended. He's just kind of sitting there, sitting there in the stairs. You'll see his face looking out the window. Some people say the spirit of Benjamin Shepard himself is there as well, that his spirit is there. You'll see him walking around. What's an even more odd haunting, again, those are kind of run-of-the-mill ghosts. Like I said, they have the stained glass windows of all the different artists. Apparently there's this Flemish dude from, I don't know, Flemish? I don't know, that's Europe somewhere. Flemland. There's this guy named Peter, this is the worst name, right? Peter Paul Rubens. Because when I think of Paul Rubens, I think of Pee Wee Herman. When I think of Pee Wee Herman, I think of masturbating in a gay movie theater. Now, to be fair, this guy was born way before Pee Wee Herman. He was a classic artist, but still, like, retroactively, your name's kind of goofy. Peter Paul Rubens, this Flemish guy, he painted that picture of the dude with the hat. If you guys have ever seen a painting, there's a painting of a guy with a hat. It's the only one. You guys are now instantly going, oh, I know what he's talking about. Think about how many paintings you know of a man from the shoulder up wearing a hat. That's Peter Paul Rubens. You don't want to see what's going on below. You don't want to see what he was doing with his hands. Uh, it was a self-portrait of him wearing a hat. It said, man with hat, or whatever the name of the painting was. Don't look below my waist. Well, anyways, this stained glass image of Peter Paul Rubens, 
people have said over time that it's getting older. And not like the stained glass window itself is starting to age or it's weathered or it's cracking a little bit. No. The painting etched into the stained glass is actually visibly getting older. They say over the years, Peter Paul Rubin's hair has turned gray. And he's growing a beard. <laughs> they don't say anything if he has a hat. They don't say anything if he has a hat. Or you see his hands moving very rapidly. None of that. None of that. We just see that his hair is turning gray and he has a beard growing. But it's interesting because there's only four tours allowed a year in this building. This isn't like a place that Ghostbusters or Ghost Hunters can actually go into and invest. <laughs> You're all smashing the glass. You're like, I'm a Ghostbuster. Bust. Smashing the glass. But apparently this stained glass window is getting older but really again we'll end it up like this i think this is one of the creepiest things and really an episode about creepy things a guy being possessed by two spirits playing two different piano pieces concertos whatever at the same time that's disturbing that's just a, a raw level of power we don't see anyone claim like even the most powerful people who claim that they're channeling spirits or channeling aliens i've never come across anything like that before that would take a certain level of skill i i believe i mean you listen you could do it i could do it i could play two piano pieces at the same time the question is can you do it well right no i wouldn't be able to i think some people could go oh i could play chopin with this hand and i can play mozart with this hand but could it would it sound good is what I'm saying. You're like, Jason, nobody could do that either. Why do you assume? It's just easy. You're like, ah, oh, music, pusmic. I'm going to sit down and do this. That's just insane. So we have that. We have a uh, painting or we have a stained glass window aging. I thought this one was creepy. Sometimes people, when they're in the house, because there are workers and housekeepers that still go in there to keep it up. Sometimes though, people or workers, when they're in the house, they will see a scene from the past play out in front of them. Sounds like a residual haunting, but you can see these whole scenes. It's not just a single ghost, but you're actually looking into the past, watching this event take place. There's been reports of that. But most menacingly, people in the house sometimes feel that a presence is there that crawls between their eyeballs. They can actually feel something creep into their skin. You're like, Jason, you should have started with that one. You're talking about a butler just sitting on the stairs. They'll feel this malevolent force crawl into their body behind their eyeballs. And then they get the impression that it is seeing through their eyes what the world looks like. So it's this weird type of possession where this entity, whatever it is, is able to see through your field of view and it's actively looking around at things. It's almost like you don't even have control of it as whatever it is, is using your body, your eyeballs to see things. And there's been a lot of reports of that. There's just this idea that I mean, what's interesting is that a what it sounds like in our terms, where it's an involuntary, it's a possession. But that exact same feeling, if it was voluntary, we would call channeling. So it's almost like the great spirits that 
Benjamin Shepard brought into this house may have never left. He may have summoned these great composers into his time just to do a little party trick, just to show people how skilled he was, not just at piano playing, but channeling. But then they didn't go back. They never left the house. It was almost like they were trapped there. He was bringing, it'd be like adopting a Wolverine just for a funny prank. Funny, scratch your face off while you're sleeping, Frank. And then when you're done, the prank's over, you just never return the Wolverine to the forest. It's still now just somewhere in your house. And that's possible what's happened here. It's possible that he channeled something in and it never left. And it's still in there. It's still in that house. It's the story of a man who played with the paranormal... And while he achieved all of his dreams, he may have damned himself and the composers he channeled into the Villa Montezuma. But I wonder if it's possible, as much as I say it's not good to play the paranormal, could you go there and now absorb the power of multiple composers? Now that you know the secret of Villa Montezuma, could you, against all my all of my requests, I'm not saying do this, Get a job as a tour guide there. And then channel the spirits of all four or however many composers. And you're like, ah. It's your first day on the job. You're like, okay, guys, time for the tour. First, let's walk into the foyer. You're like, ah. You start making grunting noises. They're like, what? What's going on? You're floating. All of a sudden, they see the ghost of composers flying inside of you. And then you're like, ah, I'm complete. And now have the spirits of every great... Comp- <laughs> People are like, wow, this is the best tour ever. I thought you are just going to show us a bunch of dusty stuff. And all of a sudden you see this guy hovering around you. He goes, now I have the spirits of the greatest composers of old inside of me. Get out of my way. I quit. I'm not a tour guide anymore. And then you could travel the world and you're playing all of these amazing songs. People are like, wow, I've never heard that song before. He's like, because I've just made it up. I'm a composer too, losers. And everyone's like, wow, this guy's like the most amazing composer ever. I've never seen anyone this good. He's playing the piano. He's playing four pianos at once. He's just his toes. It's like a Daffy Duck. A Daffy Duck cartoon. They're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you would have all the power and all the fame you'd ever wanted. But you have a secret shame as well. Because <laughs> as those spirits were flying inside of you, you're like, come inside me, Chopin. Bach, hang off my back. Mozart, arp, I'm swallowing you whole. You other guys, get in me too. William Tell, you hop inside of me. You have all these composers, but another spirit snuck inside you as well. <laughs> it was Peter Paul Rubens. <laughs> And you're like, oh, why am I addicted to masturbating? Ah. And you're like composing all of this music, all this music, but at night you have to sneak out to a gay theater and masturbate. <laughs> and people recognize you. They're like, hey, wait a second. Isn't that that world-famous composer who's rich and famous? You're like, don't look at me, don't look at me. That's the problem with summoning spirits, right? You might get the wrong spirit in you. You might get this spirit of peter paul rubens and become an excessive masturbator so the moral of the story is don't basically don't summon anything because that pervert his spirit might be floating right behind you 
DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>